everyone and welcome to God on the Ground. This is a podcast where we pick up a trusty tour guide to help us navigate either a bamboozling Bible bit, to take us through a dose of doctrine, or to help us meet a dead good dead guy. All of this to help us figure out what it means for us to live on the ground with God in real life. Meet Your Guide. We start the show with Meet Your Guide, where we get to know our guest before grilling them on the topic. Our trusty tour guide for today's episode, Rory Shiner, uh, is the senior pastor at Providence City Church and author of One Forever, The Transforming Power of Being in Christ. Uh, And so before we actually get our tour guide to take us through, uh, it seems only reasonable to actually get to know our tour guide. So, Rory, it's fantastic to have you here with us this morning. Could you actually just tell us a little bit about Rory the person uh, and perhaps even what life looks like during this strange lockdown season for you? Great. Thanks. Good to, good to be here, Jake. So I'm talking to you from Perth in Western Australia, where which is home. And I was uh, born in Albany, which is about 400 kilometres south of here. And um, my parents still live down there, but what we did high school and uh, at university up here. And I'm talking to you from my back little writing shed or outside office and my wife and the four children we've got four boys and they're in the in the main house as we speak so yeah we're in it's the what is it today the second third of april um 2020 and so we're in australia's version of lockdown which i realize isn't as extreme as some situations but the border to wa closes on sunday night becomes a hard border close which has been a dream for many west australians for many years there's a history in west australia of successionism where I think the whole state voted in favour of breaking away from the rest of Australia in the 1930s, but then the rest of Australia vetoed it. So this is our opportunity. Seems only reasonable. You can't keep those good beaches for yourself. Uh, I do have to ask, just before we jump on, uh, four boys at home during a lockdown season. Is that a source of concern for you? What's your sort of home insurance policy like? We worried about things getting broken. <laughs> it is. It, uh, so, yeah, four boys. The oldest is 14. The youngest is nine. So they're all kind of taking up increasing amounts of physical space in the house. Um, they're all, it's a fairly, I'd say the family is majority extrovert and loud. And so there's, it's like, I described it uh, to someone recently saying it's like having six extroverted Labradors with ADHD being locked in the house for the day. Um so it's good. Actually, it was it was interesting. The um, first couple of days were a bit a bit hairy as people got used to doing school from home. But it's actually people have hit a rhythm, and it's actually quite nice now. We go for you know go out for a ride in the afternoon, and we've kind of found found our stride. Can get a bit loud, but it's on the whole, I think it's been quite fun. The youngest one came up to Susan just yesterday and said, "Mum, I know this is supposed to be a really hard time, but I'm actually kind of enjoying it," which was sort of sweet. That is sweet. Almost feeling apologetic for it. Very nice. Just before we we jump into things, thinking about the union that Christians have in Christ, it feels kind of appropriate to actually ask you, how did you actually come to being found in Christ? Oh, thanks for asking. So I had the great privilege of being brought up in a family that knew Christ. And so I I can happily say that I can't can't remember uh, becoming a Christian or the other way to say it is I remember coming, becoming a Christian about a dozen times over the, uh, the course of high school. 
And actually, well, I mean, we'll probably come to this, but Union with Christ is one of the things that really helped me to get off that bandwagon of constantly becoming and re-becoming and dedicating and rededicating my life to uh, to Christ. But yeah, that's the short answer is that uh, I was brought up into Christ. And uh, I guess the slightly longer answer is that I um, was brought up into Christ and knew him from a very young age. Uh, probably the a key moment for me was at university when I got to university and was looking for the exit door, having grown up in Christianity, I wondered what, how plausible it really was. And I think I was driven by uh, a, a tendency to want to please people and to want people to, to like me. And if you want everyone to like you, you end up living life like a dog at a dog whistler's convention. And you keep not knowing which whistle to respond to. And uh, it was at university, and again, I want to fully acknowledge the background that I had in Christian things, so it wasn't like the first time I'd heard this stuff, but it was a moment of clarity where we were, I started going along to the Christian Union somewhat reluctantly, but they were teaching from the book of 1 Corinthians, and I remember for for the first time in my own apprehension, I came to that understanding that that Christianity was not about the things I did to win God's acceptance, but the other way around, that he had pave the path for accepting me in Jesus and there was something about that that even though I'd heard it a hundred times it clicked and uh, did make a real difference to to the way I, I lived and uh, and understood the uh, the grace of God so that was a, a key moment rather than a conversion experience praise God it's such a such a gift to have parents to raise you to know and love the Lord and it is certainly not the first uh, story I've heard of God in his kindness, having people either going along to youth group or universities uh, somewhat with a sense of apathy or uncertainty about going along. And yet God in his kindness brings people uh, into a deeper knowledge and love for him. Absolutely. Dose of Doctrine. Today it's a dose of doctrine where we take a theological concept and lift the lid to see how it works. In today's episode, we're getting a dose of doctrine as we consider the biblical significance of being in union with Christ. Now, Rory, you've written a book that sort of delves into this topic. What was it about being in Christ that prompted you to actually want to write a book really exploring this phrase or this concept? Yeah, a a couple of things. The, The first thing was that I had noticed it as a long-time Bible reader. I just noticed this phrase come up and up again that Paul would say, you are in Christ or you've been united to Christ or we are in him, we're in the Messiah, where um, your life is now hidden with Christ uh, in God. And to me, that was, I saw it everywhere. I think it's the dominant language that Paul uses for being a Christian. So we we say, I think our dominant word is I'm a Christian or I've been saved or something like that. But the Bible's dominant language is not that. The Bible's dominant language is that we are in Christ. So I had noticed that and, um, you know, just sort of tucked that away as a feature of the way the Bible spoke. And then the second thing was realizing that I didn't really understand it. So I had this anomaly and I, I was back to those university days where I was coming to grasp some things like justification and the doctrine of scripture and 
starting to find my way around the language for the doctrine of the Trinity. I wouldn't, I don't think anyone could say that they understand the doctrine of the Trinity, but started to find my way into a better grasp of theology. And that was really exciting. And there was this, what I felt was this missing patch where the Bible's dominant way of speaking about being a Christian was something that I myself couldn't explain or or make really any any sense of. So that was what began the journey because it is an odd thing, you know, how I know what it means to be in Albany or I know what it means to be in a car, but I, I didn't know what it was to be in Christ. Yeah, I, I found that a really fascinating observation that you made actually how that language that Paul uses when describing a Christian as, as someone being in Christ. Uh, and I totally relate to what you were saying when I describe someone as being a Christian, uh, I just call them a Christian. Mm. Is there anything in that change of language that means that we're actually missing out on something or that perhaps we might be reinforcing a truth that is not quite complete? Yeah, I, th- I think there is. So, yeah, I think that's exactly the question to ask is why is the Bible's dominant category for the thing that we call being a Christian, being saved, following Jesus, why is it being in Christ? What is the, the function, I guess? What is the practical thing? Because I, in my journey into this, I, I started reading theologians and you can look up a lot of, um, if you look up a systematic theology and go to the section on the person and work of Jesus, which is a very traditional way of putting together systematic theology, they'll often have a section on union with Christ or being in Christ and they'll they'll explain that. But I think I'm not the I'm not the most academic person in the world and I really like to bring concepts down and try to make sense of them. And as a pastor, that's a really important part of my work is not to make simple things more complicated, which I think is the job of academics, but it's mm. the opposite to make complicated things more simple. And everywhere I went, I thought, I, I don't understand this. Like, I don't know what this, this theologian is using, like, high-sounding language, but I still couldn't make, make sense of it. And then it was really working out that what, well, here's, here's what I've come to understand. I think the difference it makes is that when you talk about being saved or mm. following Jesus or being a Christian, Often, not not always, but often the emphasis falls on our volition, what we've chosen to do, on an identity marker that we've, you know, I identify as Christian would be a very 2020 way of saying it, which means that is this thing that you've opted into. So I've opted into being, you know, into 90s indie music and I've opted into having a mountain bike and there's all these consumer choices that I've made one of which is that I identify as a Christian, which puts the emphasis on me and on my choices and the way I express those choices in the world. And union with Christ flips all of that. So if if the Bible says that you are in Christ, then fundamentally it's not me that's chosen to identify with Jesus, but Jesus that's chosen to identify with me. And it's not me accruing a, a set of, you know, truths about myself that I'm male and I'm married and I'm an Australian and I'm a Christian and here are these badges, but rather I've somehow by the grace of God been subsumed into Jesus, been brought into him and who I am at some fundamental level is now in Christ and in Jesus. And that brings online in the normal Christian life, 
a whole lot of assurance about where I stand with God and a whole power for how to think about sin and temptation and holiness and living the Christian life that isn't available to you if your fundamental category for the Christian life is that it's something that you've chosen to do and you continue to pull off by your own effort and power. Yeah, thanks for that. It's, it's really helpful to know that part of the assurance and security comes from how we've been chosen to be called into Christ rather than something that we just identify with ourselves. Could you perhaps point us to a couple of key passages that were really helpful for you unpacking this concept, this idea? Uh, I think a, a good one to go to. So if you go through Paul, it, it really is everywhere that you have um, Paul saying that, um, you know, you are in Christ Jesus or Paul says you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's just typical language for him. It's everywhere. But I think a, a passage that really draws out that teaching would be Romans chapter six, where Paul is addressing the question of shall we keep on sinning? So it's a question that I think most Christians think of at some stage, especially when you understand the doctrines of grace, when you understand that God has chosen us and loves us apart from our moral achievements. Yeah. Then the follow-up question, and Paul asks it in Romans chapter, chapter 6, is, oh, should we just keep on sinning then? And Paul's answer is there. He says, Romans chapter 6, verse 2, his answer is no, by the way, we shouldn't keep on sinning. But why shouldn't we keep on sinning? It's because those who have died to sin can't live in it any longer. And then he says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into, that's the language, Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried with him mm. through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from, from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So Paul's answer to the question, should we keep on sinning, is no, but why shouldn't we keep on sinning? It's because we have been united to Christ. We've been included in him. We've been uh, baptized into Christ Jesus. If you think about the picture of baptism in, uh, in, in the way it was uh, practiced in the, in the New Testament, that you would, you know, a whole body goes underwater. You get subsumed by the water. It entirely covers you. And Paul is saying that's what Christ has done for us. He includes us entirely in him. And notice that he therefore says, therefore, don't continue to sin because your life is now in Christ. So he, he doesn't say, uh, and because it's, there's a reference there to baptism, the way I put this when we do the practice of literal baptism is that baptism isn't something that you live up mm. to, but something that you live out of. That, that baptism is not a graduation ceremony for Christians that are knocking it out of the park. It's not like the thing that happens at the end of a university course when you get your degree. It's the entry into the discipleship of Jesus. And so the, the implication mm. is that when we are in Christ, we are called to live lives that, that reject sin and, and pursue righteousness, not because if we do that enough, eventually we'll earn our points, but because we are at that point included in Christ. So uh, I'll give you a, a practical example. If I'm talking to someone at church, this comes up a, a lot, um, say someone who has found themselves, they've got addicted to internet pornography and they've got caught in that particular trap. The doctrine with union with Christ makes a real difference there because 
what I could say to that guy, I could say, oh, dude, you're really, you're letting the team down. I don't even know if you're a Christian anymore. How could you be assured? You know, how could you do that and still follow Jesus and you're like a mm. hypocrite? And, you know, what? You know, you could go that line and say, look, there's this gap between you and Jesus. But I think Romans chapter 6 and the whole teaching of union with Christ puts it the opposite mm. way around to say, hey, brother, you're, you're in Christ. You're loved by the Father. You're, you are in Jesus and, and what... God thinks of Jesus, he thinks of you. Therefore, this is not for you. That life of mm. um, you know, sin and, and, uh, and the use of pornography, to, to use that example, is not appropriate for you anymore because you are united to Christ, because you are loved in Jesus. And so that, that's the way the Bible puts it around, which I think does make a material difference mm. to the way we approach sin and temptation. Yeah, and, and perhaps even has a, a real impact in... Uh, rather than just grieving sin, it, it calls into question salvation when we don't understand yeah. uh, this doctrine clearly, uh, that we're actually called to remember, hey, you are in Christ, rather than, yeah. are you sure you're in Christ because of what you're doing? So it's really the the way in which we approach it. And it has such a huge implication for even sort of the the weight of sin or the the uncertainty that, that can stem from things like this. Absolutely. You see, you see that. Another place to see it is in 1 Corinthians 5. So in 1 Corinthians 5, the presenting issue is worth thinking about this for the moment. The presenting issue is that young men from the church are visiting prostitutes. And like, you know, on a scale of is this a, um, at what DEFCON is that seen? If guys from your youth group are visiting prostitutes and saying that that's an acceptable Christian practice, in my pastoral maths, that's pretty serious. But the temptation I have is to think they're probably not really Christians because a real Christian mm. wouldn't go visit a prostitute and then try to tell me that that was an acceptable activity. And that is not Paul's instinct at all. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 5, you are united to Christ. How can you take the body of Christ and you, or the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute? So Paul says... The problem with visiting a prostitute isn't that you threaten your union with Christ. Actually, the problem's the opposite, that you can't shake your union with Christ. And so you're taking Christ with you to the yeah. prostitute, which is at one level more, mm. more horrible, like that's more horrific. It's kind of, it doesn't bear thinking about, in fact. But it's also more pastorally brilliant because he doesn't say, oh, there's guys visiting prostitutes, mm. probably not really Christians. He says, no, you don't get to not be a Christian, so you've got to stop visiting the prostitutes. So it has profound implication for both uh, those wrestling with sin, or, uh, but also for the concerned brother or sister to help them as the way that they might buke a brother or sister in Christ, that it isn't to call into question their position in Christ, but really just to uphold and remind them that they are in Christ. So to live out who they already are. Absolutely. The illustration I use for this in the book, which you, uh, you might have come across before, but the, the illustration I use is to say that union with Christ, it's like, so imagine there's a there's a plane at the airport and you're looking at that plane. And it, so the, the first question is, what relationship do you need to have to that plane uh, in order to benefit from it? And it's immediately obvious, isn't it? You can't, following the plane won't help because you can't run fast enough. You haven't got Amen. what the plane's got. So it's no good chasing the plane. It's no good to be inspired by the plane. You can't look at the plane and think, oh, wow, if I look at that plane long enough, I myself will be able to do what that plane does. 
it's not enough to hang around the plane. So the, the so here's the illustration. The the only way you can benefit from that plane and its journey is to be in the plane. And once you're in the plane, what happens to the plane, the journey that the plane goes on also happens to you. And that's what it is to be in Christ, is to receive the benefits of Christ by faith through being in him. And the point here is that that once you're in the plane, there could be a huge spectrum of how confident you are. Mm. Imagine two people. One of them is a first-time flyer, and you know, an old guy who just never got around to flying in a plane. And his kids bought him a ticket yeah. to go to Melbourne or something, and he's in the plane, and he's nervous, and he's asking questions of the staff, and he's like, "Is this really going to fly? And this doesn't seem right. It's huge, and it's made of metal, and it's going to do what birds do." And he could be sweating bullets the whole time. And next to him is uh, is someone who flies that you know that flight every Tuesday because they've got a board meeting in Melbourne mm. or whatever, and they, they don't lose a moment's sleep. They get there with half an hour to spare. They read the paper. They get slightly annoyed that they have to turn their mobile phones off because it's not really going to make a difference. And they're just completely confident. And you look at those two people, and one question you can ask is, who's got the most faith? And clearly the frequent flyer has more faith than the old guy. But then you ask the question, which one will get to Melbourne? And the answer is, mm. even the question doesn't really make sense because at that point, at the point of the question, who gets there, it's nothing to do with the faith of the one versus the other. It's to do with where the plane's going. I've found that hugely helpful for my own sense of assurance because when I doubt or when I fall into temptation and so on, the question is, can Jesus get there? Not, can I get there? Uh, but am I in Christ? And and then, it, in a sense, it flattens our pastoral ministry to one another because we're now no longer holding these threats to one another to say, oh, you know, my plane's faster than your plane or my faith means that I'll get to Melbourne ahead of you because it doesn't make any sense because it's entirely to do with the plane. And it means that we can, we can say to each other, hey, brother, I'm in what you're in. We're, we're trusting in the same mm. thing. Uh, therefore, it's not right that you continue this life of sin or, or with doubt or whatever. I think we can be more merciful to each other because faith is only as strong mm. as its object. If our faith is in Christ, then we we don't have to be self-critical of you know our the weakness of our faith or the faith of others mm. because the real point is where our faith is, not how big it is. Yeah, uh, brother, that's so helpful, particularly in this strange season that we currently find ourselves in, filled with uncertainty around the coronavirus. Perhaps many people listening are actually feeling a sense of uncertainty and doubt in God's goodness. How good is it to know that it's the object of our faith which gives us assurance rather than the strength of our faith? I think one of the, the great things to be encouraged by, by this rich doctrine of being in Christ is just to know how secure you are by being in him. When others around you might seem to be stronger or doing better, it is not a reflection of them being on a different plane to you. What guarantees our destination, what guarantees that we actually have the hope of heaven uh, is the fact that we are in Christ. God on the ground. This isn't just trivia. It makes a difference for how we think, how we live, and how we engage with God. So let's finish the episode talking about what this means on the ground in real life. 
you mentioned in the book, because we are in Christ as one body, we are also united to one another as one body. I'm really curious from your perspective and as a pastor uh, overseeing a family of believers, what does that unity look like in a season where we can't physically gather together? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question because I think what you say is true that Christianity is a team sport and part of the way that union with Christ cashes out is that it draws us into union with each other. And it does that theologically, as in whether I activate it or not, I am in union with other Christians across the world and we are part of one body. So being part of one body is a fact of salvation rather than something that we choose to opt into. But it's also a very practical doctrine because the way I describe it, and this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a very famous passage where it talks about we are the body of Christ and each one is a member. That's a, that's a union with Christ passage. But it, notice what it does is it says that we are, so with the illustration we were just talking about, we're the same in terms of assurance and we're the same in terms of the love of the Father because God loves me as much as he loves you because he loves us in Christ. But God has also, at the same time, brought us together into these Christian communities, into local churches, and he has on purpose made sure that I don't have enough in me to keep going in Jesus. So it's a weird thing to say, but I think that's absolutely true from 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and elsewhere. The things that I need to keep going as a Christian, they're not in me, they're in the other people that God has brought me together into fellowship mm. with. And so I need to go and find the gifts of God for me in the body of Christ constituted as the local Christian church that we've been called yeah. into. They are God's gift to me and I am God's gift to them. And so I think that a good way to think about church as in the local church is it's like getting together at base camp at Everest. And when you go to when you go to Everest, evidently there's a base camp, and the base camp is not the goal because you, you're trying to climb the the mountain. But at base camp, people get together and they apparently they say, "Oh, look, here's how you tie this knot, and here's here's some oxygen tanks. Can I trade you this? Can I give you that?" Uh, or another way to say it is, church is like the oranges and talk <laughs> from the coach in the middle of the game um, on a game of weekend footy, where you get together and you're trading and exchanging the gifts that God has given his people for the building up of the body. So I think in the time of COVID, I am aware that there could be other spiritualities like Eastern spiritualities, which would think, oh, that's great. You get to spend all this time alone and that's how you really connect with God. But the Bible's answer, the Christian answer to how you connect with God is almost, well, not never, but it's rarely alone. The way we connect with God is through connecting with each other, because in each other, we find that which God has given us to keep going in the Christian life. So short way of saying, I think in the time of COVID, there's all sorts of uh, wonderful things we can do and technology is a huge help, but it would not be sufficient in the time of COVID to think, oh, cool, what I'll do is I'll have my own personal prayer and Bible study. Hmm. And then on Sunday, I'll curate the world's best online service. You know, and, and you think, yeah. oh, well, I'll get the 
music from Hillsong, but the preaching mm. will come from Tim Keller, and then the prayers will come from the Anglicans, and the doxology will come from the Presbyterians, and yeah. the the enthusiasm will come from the African American, the Black Church tradition, mm. and and you think oh, I could curate the world's best church service Mm. and do that all in my bed in my pajamas what i think the bible would say is that whatever that is that's not church because anything that you can do by yourself is almost by definition not church you can worship alone and you can read the bible alone you can pray alone and they're all good things to do alone but in church you do all those things but you do them together and that matters and so For example, in the time of COVID, we have put our services online, but more importantly, we've tried to use, you know, Zoom and WhatsApp and and the other technologies to make sure that we are doing the base camp thing of talking before and after the service, of connecting with each other during the week, because we know that if we didn't do that, the gifts that God has for me, I wouldn't be able to receive them because he's, he's put them in other people. That's really helpful uh, just in trying to ground us in such a strange and isolated time uh, to actually remember uh, that we are God's gift to each other, that we have a responsibility to the brothers and sisters that we gather with to support them as we continue to pursue Christ. For those of us listening today, two things that certainly I've been particularly encouraged by as we think about being in Christ Firstly, just the incredible assurance that we have because we are in Christ. It's not the strength of our own faith, but rather the object of our faith in Jesus. But also uh, remember that we have a responsibility to one another in Christ, that we have been joined as one body. Uh, And so could I just encourage you, if, if you're listening to this, to think about how you are God's gift to your brothers and sisters around you. Rory, thank you so much for joining us at God on the Ground. For those who are listening at home, wanting to be able to dig a bit deeper as they go away from here, would you have a particular place where they can can really dig deeper on being in Christ? I reckon for Paul, it's everywhere in Paul, so I encourage you to just read the letters of Paul and look for that language of in Christ. I think Romans chapter 6 is a really powerful place to start to hear the same idea with different language if you go to the gospel of john and jesus speaking to the disciples in john chapter 14 15 and 16 that's where jesus talks about i am the vine and you are the branches and uh, i think that is where you get the lord jesus himself teaching on the idea of union with christ let me just finish by reading a couple of verses from romans chapter 8 where we're told, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.